Well, if you're new in the church and you're kind of wondering, what's all going on the stage? Did they rip off the highway department? No. It was rented. But it's a series called Under Construction. Now, how many know construction implies building? If you've lived in Texarkana any period of time, you know the road work out in front of us here. The system worked before they tore it up. It hadn't worked for three years. Yesterday, I was coming across Richmond at intersection, and, and I turned left. I obeyed the green light, but as soon as I turned left, the next light's red, and I'm stuck out in the middle of the intersection. And I'm thinking, okay, and then cars start passing me, going around me. I'm thinking, okay, maybe I should go too. And, and, and to get from Nash to, to uh, Jefferson, what does it, it take you? 20 minutes? 30 minutes? I mean, it takes you a while. But when they finish the construction, you can go all the way from Nash to Jefferson without hitting a stoplight. Three lanes. Well, how many know it takes some construction? And similarly, God wants to do construction in our lives. He wants to do some rebuilding. He wants to take you where you are as a decent road system and make it better. So this series, Under Construction, is a series that's very personal about you. It's about God rebuilding broken areas of your life, areas of your life that need improvement, area of your, of your life where you're not reaching your potential. But it's also broader. It's about God doing some construction, rebuilding in our church, and even bigger than that, in our nation. Because how many know America's walls are broken down? America, friend, is in trouble today. The troubles are not Republicans, Democrats, blacks, whites, all those issues that are just... The trouble is not even financial. The trouble is the nation's gotten away from God. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose, whose God is the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. And the problem is, Jesus has been thrown under the bus in many respects in our nation. Well, how many believe that God can once again breathe on our nation? And not just give us jobs and money. How many know God can be rebuild the righteous foundations of the land again? Well, that's what the series is about. We're going to start there in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. Now, Nehemiah is one of the most colorful characters in the Old Testament. He's really a guy that took a nation that was stagnant and brought it to another level. See, uh, he was a guy, if, if I can give you just a penny's worth of history, which, by the way, all our messages are on our website. You can download it, put it on your iPod, whatever you want to do. Just it'll be on the website in a couple days. But he was a guy who was living far away from his homeland, Jerusalem. His forefathers had blown it bad before God, and God judged them. And how many know God will ultimately one day judge a nation if it sins long enough? Well, that had happened to them, and they were in exile for 70 years. God had predicted to the prophet Jeremiah it would last that long, but now it was time to take the people back to Jerusalem. And prior to Nehemiah's day, literally a, a new king arose and sent them back to their homeland. The book of Ezra talks about that. They're kind of a companion book, Ezra and Nehemiah. Great spiritual principles there. But anyway, they go back and they start rebuilding their temple. They're rebuilding the city. But the problem was this city was surrounded by a wall. And that wall would protect the city. Some of the walls that surrounded ancient cities were so wide that three chariots could ride on the top of them. I mean, they were, it was no small deal. It wasn't like a, a fort that you see in TV when they used to, cowboys would fight Indians and all that kind of stuff. This was a big wall that surrounded the city, and it provided protection. But listen, it provided an identity for the people of God in Jerusalem. Now, this wall was destroyed under Nebuchadnezzar. It was, you know, wiped out. So for 70 years, it was just had become dilapidated. Now, I was raised in a, in a rural environment in Mississippi. Uh, I was raised on a farm. 
There were a lot of tenant houses that were on the, all over the property. When I was a boy, I can remember two old houses. They were next to some ponds that I would fish in and pick blackberries around those old houses. And, and anyway, when I was a boy, they were too old for people to live in. The wood had already turned gray. The chimneys started falling down. But I went back. It's been a while since I was a boy, about 40 years. And I went back, and there was no house standing anymore. You, I really had to think where, where it was. And the only way I could find the house was all it was standing was a dilapidated chimney. And that chimney was, by and large, even falling to the ground. And what I did is I literally took a brick from that chimney, brought it home kind of as a reminder of my childhood. Well, that's a picture of what was going on in Jerusalem. The walls of protection were broken down. Now, think about this. Seventy years they were destroyed. They went back to build the city after the 70. But now where we're reading this morning, it's 90 years after that. So for 90 years, the people of God, they went back and built a temple. They went back and restored their worship. They began to rebuild the city. But the wall was never rebuilt. And for 90 years, people had just gotten used to the broken area of their life. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, and I'm going to condense these 18 verses so you may, uh, may look on the screen. Verse 11, Nehemiah went to Jerusalem and was there three days. In verse 15, he inspected the wall. And in verse 17, he said to the people, you see the trouble we're in. Now, I'm going to suggest to you, friends, that many of us don't see the trouble we're in. We're so far in the midst of it, whether it's a troubled marriage, a troubled nation, it, it, sometimes I can't, uh, it's almost hard for me to turn the news on television, come on, because it's either so unbelievable or I feel like they're lying to me, they're not being honest, or they don't have the courage to just do what's right. Are you with me? Sometimes we don't see it. And Nehemiah was able to see it with fresh eyes. People that had been there, listen, for 90 years, some of them were born there and died there, and they just couldn't see it anymore. You've heard the phrase, I'm in the forest and can't see the trees. Well, that's where they were. He said, Jerusalem is in ruins and its gates are burned. So come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. I want you to see, here's a man calling for action in the midst of something that was fallen and broken down. It's a time to act, that we may no longer suffer derision or disgrace. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me. Now I'm going to come back to that phrase that's tremendously important. The hand of God was on me, and the people said, let us rise and let us build. Now, in this series, I'm using this broken down wall as a picture or as a metaphor for our lives, for areas of our life that are in need of rebuilding, for areas of our life that are broken down, for areas of our life that are in trouble, for parts of our church that are broken and not functioning as they should, for parts of our city that are broken down. During our communion, I'm going to have a little video about State Line Avenue that's just going to amaze you. It is a broken down road, not just because of the concrete and buildings, but because of the people's lives that are represented, the brokenness in so many of the businesses that are offered there. But it's a picture of brokenness. And listen, here's what I want you to hear. Everybody saw the problem, but nobody did anything about it. Now, let's get personal. And the rest, this has been background. Everybody saw the problem, but nobody did anything about it. They learned to live with it. And I'm going to suggest to you, in our lives, we learn to live with things. We get used to something being broken. And because it was not easy to fix, because we couldn't take a pill, that's how we want to get cured, right? We just want to take a pill and want it all go away. Because they couldn't take a pill, because they couldn't microwave it. It's amazing how we want the quality of the food a chef would prepare in a microwave, come on, in two minutes. And because they couldn't do that, they, they just accepted it and they learned to live with it. They were in what I'm going to call a spiritual rut. It was like spiritual inertia. 
Hey, have you ever been in a car that got stuck in mud and its tires were just spinning? Those of you that have, you know, you're driving your car and all of a sudden you back up and, and you feel like nothing's moving, no traction. And you say, uh-oh, what's the first thing you do? Mash the gas. And you think more gas is going to help. Well, maybe you start moving and then you stop it and you put it in reverse and and then you start sinking. So you've got all this motion but no movement. And I'm going to suggest in many of our lives, we're just like that truck. We know what to do, but we're stuck in a rut and we're not moving. And we feel that just because we know what to do, because we believe the right thing, that that's okay and it's a substitute for action. Listen, knowing the right thing to do but being unwilling to do it causes you to be paralyzed. Now let me give you some application here. Maybe, you're, uh, maybe your marriage is in trouble. Your marriage is not going to get better until you get off the couch and do something about it. Maybe you're sitting here today knowing you have spiritual gifts and callings, that God has put a special touch on your life, but all you do is come to church Sunday after Sunday instead of getting out and doing what God's called you to do. You know, there are, there are Christians that are trying to enter the realm of politics to try to bring some of the values and common sense back to our government, be it locally or, or, or nationally. Listen, these people need us to get behind them. Listen, some of the political direction of, of our country is crazy. Our country cannot continue down the path that it's in. Please don't hear my remarks through, 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 through a, a Democrat or Republican party or the color of someone's skin. Listen, we've got white people that are messing us up. We've got black people messing us up. We've got Hispanics messing us up. Come on, we've got folks that are just messing this nation up. See, and there's some people that are trying. Thank God we don't live in a totalitarian society. Thank God every couple years we get to vote and at least have a voice. But listen, until you do something, until you act on the problem, nothing is going to change. And here's what I want to talk about this morning. It's not enough to believe the right thing. You've got to act on what you believe. You've got, it's not enough to... It's just like that truck spinning in a rut. It's not enough to just believe right. You've got to act on it and do the right thing. If you can imagine this construction crew out here on I-30. Engineering drawings were made. Money was set aside. Supervisors were put in place. But the reason these bridges are built is because some guys get up in the morning or stay up all night and they do something. Well, that's missing largely in many uh, of our lives where there's a place of brokenness. We're not acting on what we need to do. Because when we begin to act, then you'll find that just like Nehemiah, the hand of God was on his life, God will put his hand on your life and he'll move your life forwards. Praise the Lord. So that's what I want to talk to you about this morning is this construction tip is about acting on what you believe. Now I want you to go to the book of James with me. James chapter 1 verse 22. And if I could give you a, I'm going to call it a construction tip today for life. It's not enough to believe the right thing. You've got to act on what you believe. Now let's dig into this together. James chapter 1 verse 22. It's a New Testament passage and it illuminates a tremendous problem in the Christian world. Now, I want to tell you this from experience. Our problem is not a knowledge problem, by and large. Our problem is an acting problem. The problem is not that we don't know what to do for our marriages, come on, for our kids, for our church, for our city, for our nation. It's a doing problem. You're quiet on me this morning. They were amen a lot better in the first service this morning. And they were half asleep. Look at verse 22, which, by the way, we got more room in a first service if you, if you feel a little crowded here. 
Verse 22, don't just listen to God's Word. You must... Say it again. Do what it says. Don't just listen to God's Word. Do what it says. So when I tell you you've got to act on what you believe, let me go ahead and tell you what I'm, what I'm, what I'm meaning. When I talk about what you believe, I'm talking about God's Word... I'm talking about what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, either on a personal level or prophetic level. There's some form of truth that God has given you that you don't want to just have it in your head. You want it to affect your footsteps and your actions and your behavior. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Don't just listen. Do what it says. The Message Bible says, act on what you hear. Can you say that? Act on what you hear. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourself. Verse 23, if you listen to the Word but don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. Now, you see yourself, but you walk away and you forget what you look like. Isn't that interesting? When you stand in front of the mirror, you see yourself with all the, you know, the, the goods, the bad, the wrinkles, the, just everything about you, every hair is in place. But when you step away, the reality of the picture is not as vivid. You still know who you are, but something has changed. If you look carefully, verse 25, into what's called the perfect law that sets you free, now listen to this most important part. If you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Can, can you just hear this very, very simple prescription of the Bible? When God shows us what to do, if we will just do it, God's blessing will follow us. If you will just put your hand to what God says. Listen, He blesses us when we act on our belief in God's Word. Now listen, there's a huge problem in the Christian life. We falsely assume that as long as we believe the right thing, then our actions are optional. That is, I can believe something but not act. It's not true. Our actions are the evidence of our belief. Whatever you do, my friend, is what you believe. If you tell me you love Jesus, but you live like the devil, you are... Yeah, you're lying to yourself. You are fooling yourself. You're deceived because it's not just what's rolling around in your head. Come on. It's what you're doing. Didn't Jesus say it's out of the abundance of the heart that what? The mouth is going to speak. So if you say something, if you just cuss somebody out and say, oh, I, didn't, I didn't mean that. Well, yes, you did. See, it's what you do. It's what's coming out of you. And I believe that we somehow think that if we just think about Bible information and we have Bible truth in our head, then doing it is optional. Can I tell you, we are fooling ourselves. You know, the, the, back in Nehemiah's day, thousands of people walked down by, by that broken wall every day of their life, but they didn't do anything about it. They knew they were supposed to rebuild, but they just didn't do it. We can substitute knowledge for action and think it's okay. Can I tell you, Jesus did not call us to simply think about the Bible. He called us to do it. He didn't call us just to get information. You know, you can make a budget. You can, you can go to a Dave Ramsey class. Ever heard of his class, Financial Freedom? Let me see how many went to the class. Raise your hand here. Yeah, it's real popular all over America today. He's on Fox News. He's everywhere. You can go through his class. He can talk about a budget, but you can go home and not do it. Now, you know what's right. You believe what's right. But if you don't take the step to act, now th this will help you so much if you'll just lay hold of this this morning. You can go to a marriage seminar. And you, listen, let me know, particularly a guy, it takes a bit to get us to the marriage seminar. Because what the blank does he have to tell me about what to do? I know how to do it. I've been married 20 years. 
But when he gets you there and you hear some things and your wife starts smiling and laughing and she's punching you, buddy, you're on to something. But if you don't go home and make the change he talks about, can I tell you what? It's going to get worse and not better. And the problem is knowing what to do is not the same as doing it. It's like your tires are just spinning. There is an inertia. It's like we think we're doing something, but we're not going anywhere because we're not acting. Maybe you're called by God. I've, I've talked to people all the time. They're called by God to do some ministry. They're called to do something. They're called to, they know what to but they never do a thing. They talk about it, and they think about it. I, it drives me crazy. You ever heard the phrase, almost makes a preacher cuss? Well, let me tell you, what almost makes this preacher cuss, when I watch the news and I hear our politicians tell us, the budget deficit has got to change. We're spending more money than we have. And then they turn right around and approve another 10, 20, 50, 100 billion dollars, 200 billion dollars. You are smart enough to know that your credit card will only take you so far. At some point, they want money in hand. Now, it may not be much when you start out, but at some point, if you can't pay what they want, there's no more credit for you. See, but our government doesn't seem to know that, listen, because their actions don't line up with what they know needs to be done. They know Medicare is bankrupt. They know Social Security is bankrupt. But, uh, but they don't want to make changes to it. It's like something, there's a disconnect between knowing what to do and doing it. And the key for the Christian, listen, the key for you today for just to release something in your life is to let it move from your head to your footsteps. Come on. Let it move from your head to your pocketbook. Let it move from your head to your actions. It will absolutely change things. Listen, imagine if that crew on I-30 showed up early in the morning, put their, put their hard hats on, and looked at those engineering drawings, but then just turned the radio and listened to radio all day. Do you think we'd ever get a bridge made out here? You know, they say they're supposed to make that bridge in 80 days. See, I talked to an engineer recently. He said they're supposed to be done with all the roads and bridges this winter. Can you believe maybe December or January they could be finished by and large with that? But imagine if they just showed up to work and didn't do anything. See, and that, I'm afraid, characterizes much of the Christian life. Listen, imagine uh, any gardeners in here, anybody know anything about planting seeds? Okay, you, you come to my house if we have a, you know, a great problem. I'll, I'll show you how to raise a garden. I, w I went to Lowe's too long ago, and I found some lettuce that I really liked, a special kind of, kind of a mix, and I bought a half a dozen packages. Well, guess where five of those packages are right now? They're sitting in my closet. I cannot go in my closet and get salad material. If Linnell says, I'd like a yummy green salad tonight, I can go in that closet and all I could get was toppings, you know, like some of that silly stuff you buy, you know, that's manufactured in the grocery store. That's all it would be. You've got to take that seed and put it in the ground and put some water on it and guess what will happen? I'll do that when the, whenever it gets a little cooler, into September or somewhere and then it gets cooler. I'm going to put some lettuce seeds in the ground and I'm going to be having lettuce about October or November. Are you with me this morning? But I want you to imagine some people, their thoughts are just like that seed, and your seed is stuck in your closet. You know how to fix your marriage, or at least you know something needs to be done. You know God's called you to a ministry. You know there's problems in America. You want to get involved. You want to do something, but your seeds are in your closet. You've got to get them put it in the ground. Come on, somebody. You, you've got to move from belief to action. See, so you've got to move from thinking about it to doing something about it. I'm preaching way better than you're amening this morning. Listen, it has the potential to change your life. 
You look at your kids and you say, oh, my kids are just growing up before my eyes and I just want my little baby to, to love me. Well, listen, you've got to get, get up and take them to the game, take them to do something. You can't just sit in your chair wanting your baby to be affectionate to you. Come on, you've got to get involved and get in their life. And something is missing. There's a disconnect between thinking about it and doing it. It might sound very simple to you, but I'm going to keep saying it. Your life is not going to get better just thinking about it. You've got to do something. Because let me give you something startling. God is wanting to rebuild your life. He's wanting to rebuild His church. He's wanting to rebuild broken areas of our city and our nation. And listen, one day we're going to have to stand before God and give an account for what we... Not what we thought. Now listen, your thoughts, idle words will be judged. But listen, when you stand before Jesus, the beam of seat, the judgment seat of Christ, that's not the great white throne that's heaven and hell. There's a judgment of the believer. He's going to ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? And I fear that we have so many seminars in our head, so many sermons in our head, so many podcasts in our head. Come on. Knowledge is not the same as doing. Somewhere it's got to move from talking about it to doing something about it. See, our nation, is, it's almost everything is racist in America today. If you get in any problem, the way you get out of it is just say, you're offended or it's racist. Why don't we just get beyond the talking and start loving people, treating people right, come on, asking people for forgiveness, loving people who don't love us back. Why don't we get beyond just the rhetoric and the talk and the thinking about it to action? See, that's what God... The parable of the, of, the, of the talents, you remember? Jesus talked about God giving something into the hands of each person. Two people used it. They multiplied it. One just buried it in the ground. And on Judgment Day, the Lord was not pleased with them. So there's a big lesson I want to give you this morning. It is not enough to simply believe the right thing. You've got to... Yeah, you got to do it. You got to act on what you believe. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to make a, a statement that may sound a bit extreme, but I want to explain it before you, 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 you withdraw. Our theology about salvation can create this problem. Now, every one of us in here, this is a Christian church. It is a church that believes in what's called evangelical, basic Reformation theology about salvation. That man is sinful, man cannot save himself. The cross is God's act of mercy to mankind, and if we will simply believe that God's good gift is available to us by believing the good news that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, he, he died on the cross to pay for our sins, He was raised from the dead, He's coming back again. If you believe that, we share the core of evangelical or Reformation theology about salvation. But for some people, they think that just information about Jesus is enough. Stay with me now. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, By grace, which is God's gift, His kindness, you have been saved. What saved means, really, saved is something that you and I have not yet experienced. We'll know what that means on Judgment Day. Now listen, you, you can be saved today, okay? Stay with me. But the fruit of this thing is when you're standing before the great white throne of God and some people go to heaven and some people go to hell. How many know you're saved on that day? That's all a result of what you did with Christ today. So you're saved through faith, which is simply believing in what Christ has done for you. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God 
which means you can't save yourself. Listen, it is not a result of works, so no one may boast. What does that mean? You cannot do enough good works to save yourself. Most people I ask, if they were to die today, and they were standing before God on Judgment Day, and they would, God were to say, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? You know what the number one answer is? You know. I've lived a good life. I'm telling you. People that don't understand what we're talking about, that's what they say. I've lived a good life. And they believe that there's these scales. And if they just did a few more good things and bad things, they might have done a lot of bad things, but they did a really good thing, then that's going to be good. That's not how you get to heaven. You, don't get, you cannot go to church enough times to get to heaven. You cannot withhold your tongue from cursing enough times to get to heaven. You cannot give enough money to poor people to get to heaven. Come on. There's only one way. It is a trusting that what Christ did on the cross was the perfect sacrifice for your sins. You cannot save yourself through works, but here's something I know. Saved people do good works. Let me say it again. Good works don't save you, but saved people do good works. That is, saved people don't just believe the right thing. They act on what they believe. And can I tell you this? If you're not doing good works, if there's not an evidence of your salvation, you may not be truly saved because you have substituted knowledge about God. Listen, this is so important. You've substituted knowledge for true faith and action. See, but many people have done that. You see, if you don't act on what you believe, you may well be deceived. Look at James chapter 2, verse 14. This is not an isolated thought. You've got to act on what you believe. James 2, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Here's the point. Real faith, Bible-believing faith, is different from most, what most people call faith and believing today. Most people, when they say they believe in Jesus or they're believing the right thing, is simply they've got some information and Bible facts in their head. And there's a difference between a true saving faith that puts your trust in Christ because it makes you act. And here he gives an example. He says, verse 15, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Then go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and you don't give them the things that are needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is... Yeah, it means it's useless. It's not faith. See, it's not just enough to believe right. You've got to act on what you believe. And the action is the evidence that you're truly saved. You say, Pastor, oh, I want my marriage to work. I'm just, I'm just, my marriage is in trouble. Okay, well, what are you doing to change things? Well, nothing. Okay, well, let's talk about it a little bit. Okay, so what does your wife say? Well, she says, uh, you know, I don't want to spend any time with her. Okay, all right. I want you to go home today. I want you to talk to your wife. I want you to be honest. Look at your calendar. I want you to pick a couple times this week where you can just make her the princess. I want you to, let's say, pick a date. Would it be a great night for a date? Friday. Okay, Friday night. Where's she like to eat? Roadhouse. Okay, take her to the roadhouse on Friday night. Okay, all right. And when you go, send some roses to her work that day. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. Okay, okay. Come back the next Tuesday. Well, how's it going? This is not doing good at all. Did you go to the roadhouse? No, there was a good movie on TV. <laughs> but I really want my marriage to work. Really. 
You can believe right, but not act on what you believe. And you're just in that mud going, come on, let's go home. It's time to go to McDonald's. Those tires are just spinning. Nothing happening. If this would just sink in your heart, your life would change. Listen, our city would change. Our nation could change. But we live in a world of rhetoric and information rather than acting on what we believe. Punch your neighbor and say, he's preaching good this morning. Listen, James says real believers act on what they believe. Nehemiah chapter 2. Let, let me, I'm going to wrap this up and then we're going to have communion. Let me share with you what I think is just this neatest scripture of the morning. Because when you act on what you believe, now listen, God will help you. Let me say this. When you act on what you believe, God will help you. Look at me on this one. This, this is big. How many know when you get in the canoe, let's say if we wanted to go canoeing today, and we're going to go up to Oklahoma, what is that? What's it called? Uh, Beaver's Bend, Broken Bow. Anyway, th that water is cold in September, and it's moving. All you got to do is get the canoe in the water, and the current will take over. I want you to hear this. When you start doing, working with God, doing what He's told you to believe, He's going to put some current behind you. It's not just you paddling your little boat. The current of the Holy Spirit is at work in you. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2. Now, this particular verse, he's, he's a slave of the king. He's the cupbearer, which means he protects the king and his food so he doesn't get killed. But verse 3, he said to the king, why should my faith be, face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, is in ruins and its gates are burned with fire? Now look at me just a second. Don't, don't pay attention to them. Somebody had come to where he was in Babylon from Jerusalem, and he said, what's going on back home? And they said, man, it's bad. The city's in turmoil. The people aren't serving God. The walls are broken down, and there's no protection. You know what the Bible says Nehemiah did? He wept and he prayed. Now listen to me, but it's not enough to weep and pray. You've got to act. So now he's standing in front of the king, and the king said to him, what are you requesting? So in the middle of the question mark, he prayed to God. And he said to the king, and then he asked four things. First thing he said, uh, he said, send me to Judah so I can rebuild it. Send me to Judah so I can rebuild. In other words, let me go back and build, my, build the wall. Then he said, give me letters, verse 7, to the governors. That is, if he had to go a ways to get there, you give me some protection so that they know it's okay. And then give me a letter to a man called Asaph, the guy that's got the king's money in the forest, because I'm going to need some wood to build this wall. So he said all these things, and then the king did what? He granted him what he asked. Why? Because the good hand of God was upon me. Can I say it again? Because the good hand of God was upon me. Now just think about this. He knew there was a problem. That problem made him throw his shoe at the TV. That problem made him go to the marriage seminar. That problem made him, you know, sign up on a, you know, the ministry God. But he didn't just weep and pray because there was a problem. He asked. And he said, King, would you help me? And this is what I want you to see. God turned the heart of this king. And this king let his most prized servant go for years to be the governor. He made sure he would be protected. And he gave him all the resources he needed to do what needed to be done. God got involved. Now, can I tell you this? God wants to get involved in the rebuilding of your life.
Listen, many of you have tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. Listen, thank God for your trying, but you got to get in the current where the river's flowing. See, the least favorite time on that canoe trip is when you're in that canoe and there's no current. Come on. And you come around that stretch and the water's low and you look as far as you can see and it's still water and you know you've got to paddle. Now, there may be some paddling in your life, but I'm telling you, God can make that current flow. And if you know anything about canoeing, you can start hearing the sound of the rushing water ahead of you. Come on. Because that water is starting to go down in elevation and there's rocks that it's going over. And you can't wait to get there. And when you get caught up in the current, it's going to move you. Can I tell you, God wants to rebuild the broken walls of your life. God wants to restore your family. God wants to fix things with your children and you. He, God wants to use you more than you want to be used for His kingdom. God's got a calling and God's got a plan, but you've got to get into the river. You've got to take the steps. And you've got to paddle until you catch up with the current. Now listen, this is something huge, and we're going to receive communion in just a second. What can we learn from this passage? Two things. God's help was tied to their action. God did not begin to help him until he began to act. Please hear this. God did not do anything when Nehemiah cried. He did not do anything when Nehemiah was just thinking about it. He didn't do something when he asked. And here's the big one. I'll close with this. When believers become doers, God makes great things happen. Do this to your ears because I want you to clear them out to hear this. When believers become doers, God makes great things happen. You remember the movie Fireproof? If you've not seen this, you need to go out and rent it today. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen. It's a movie about a, a man and a wife, probably in their late 20s, had been in conflict for a while, wasn't getting along, was going to get a divorce. And this man went to his dad, and he said, uh, Daddy, I guess I'm going to get a divorce. Do you want to, son? No, I, I really would like my marriage, but she won't straighten up. And Dad gave him a 40-day dare. Remember that? And it was for 40 days each day he was supposed to think about it. No, he was supposed to do something. Day one, make her a cup of coffee. He made the coffee. She didn't even drink it. He kept doing day two. Bring her some flowers. He buys them home. She laughs at the flowers. But he didn't quit doing day three and day four and day five. And all of a sudden, first of all, God changed his heart. What he did by obligation, God restored love. See, you may feel like your heart is just dead towards your spouse or some area is just over. I'm telling you, God can bring life out of death. And then he began to really want what he was obligated to do. But then she said no. She was hurt. And here was the kicker in the whole story. He'd done this up to whatever, 40 days, and then he was on day 41 and 42. See, because he's decided he was going to just do it until something changed. He wasn't just believing and thinking about it. He was doing it. He had this dream in life that was almost an idol. He'd, he wanted this big boat, $25,000, and he was just about there. Well, guess what? His wife's mom and mom had had a crisis. She'd had a stroke, and now she was virtually an invalid, and she needed a special wheelchair and a special bed. Guess what it cost? Well, this woman is leaving him, going off, got another boyfriend, and without her asking, guess what he did with his money? He bought the bed. He didn't tell a soul. 
He just kept doing it. And when she found out about it, she began to break. She began to weep because then she realized, this man loves me. He's not just talking about it. He's doing something about it. I'm telling you, grace can be released in your life when that which you believe for is rooted in the mind and the purpose and the counsel of God because God is a rebuilding God. Somebody give the Lord a big hand today. They're going to begin to serve you communion this morning. I want you to just hold on to it in just a second. We're all going to partake together in just a second. It'll maybe a little holder in the back of your chair you can put it on the floor. I want you to look at me just a second as they're doing that. I'm going to show you a little video for about three minutes. I pray with a group of pastors in town every Thursday. If you ever run into a preacher, tell them to call me out. They can come with me. But what we did is we got in a van and we rode down State Line Avenue. Now, I drive down State Line Avenue two or three times a week. But I'd never, it's been a long time since I just paused and prayed in parking lots. And I began to see that State Line Avenue is a broken wall in our city. And I don't mean just because businesses are boarded up or because concrete's cracking. Uh, because it represents, the businesses that are growing there represent lives that are broken down. And I was, you, in just a second as we take communion, I want you to not only think about forgiveness for you, I want you to think about what am I doing to help people who have broken lives and broken walls because we're God's hands extended. Last Thursday, I went down State Line Avenue with a group of pastors praying for our city. And my heart was grieving because I saw the broken condition of much of Texarkana. State Line Avenue used to be the economic center of our city, but things have changed. As you look down State Line Avenue today, the roads are in somewhat need of repair. A lot of the stores are abandoned. Houses are abandoned. Things are becoming dilapidated. But what I'm talking to you about now is not just about the con economic condition of State Line. I'm talking to you about the broken lives that are represented here and the need for the church, the need for believers to help rebuild broken people in our city. One of the things that gripped my heart the most was the number of payday loan places that I saw. I didn't count specifically, but I, I bet there were somewhere between 15 and 20 of these institutions along state line on both the Arkansas and Texas side. I know there's some legitimate purposes in these businesses, but I also know there's a lot of people that are in economic trouble in our city. Their lives are broken down. There's people that have so much debt they don't know what to do. People have lost their jobs. People are, there's pressure at home. They take it out on their families. There's theft in our city where people are stealing. Mean, we've got economic problems around us, and it's affecting people. And this is a tremendous picture of a broken wall in our city, broken lives that are affected by the economic issues that are going on in our nation today. When I was riding with the pastors last Thursday, we spent quite a bit of time praying in this parking lot. Here's a new nightclub in town, and right next to it there's a liquor store. I'm not here to judge or say the people that go there are evil or bad, but I know that the people that go there are looking for something that they're not going to find there. When I was younger, I used to go to places like this. I know what it's like to try to find happiness in a bottle or in a relationship. I know what it's like to, to look for happiness and peace in life, but they're not finding it here. 
It's one more picture of the fact that lives are broken in our city. It's a broken down wall. People have to go to a bottle or alcohol or drugs or one night stands just to try to find a life of happiness and joy. They'll never find it there. What they're looking for is found in Christ. Somebody needs to help them rebuild the broken walls in their life. When we pulled in front of this abandoned church downtown, my heart just broke. This church at one time was vibrant and alive. I've been inside of it. The sanctuary is beautiful. When we fed the refugees from the hurricane, we used this thing a number of times. But now it's dormant. Nobody's using it. You can see the grass and everything that's grown around it. Could this be a prophetic picture of the condition, not just of this building, but of the church in our city, of the church in our nation, how ineffective we are to literally rebuild the walls in our city because we've got our own struggles. But maybe also that this church is a picture of Christians, Christians who have the light of God, who know the right things, who believe the right things, but are not doing anything, they're not vibrant, they're alive, they're not serving the Lord. Maybe this speaks to you today. We're going to sing a worship song as we prepare for communion. But I want you to think of three things as this you sing. First of all, I want you to think about this bread and the suffering that Christ endured for you and that He endured for me. That is no small thing. And how many know my sins need to be forgiven? I don't have to beat myself up. Listen, how many know, listen, if you're a Christian, Jesus has paid the price. I reflect on His suffering, but listen, it makes me smile because I'm His son. Because Jesus died for me, I'm not going to have to pay, die eternally, and I'm not going to go to a place called hell. So I want you to think about forgiveness for your sins. But don't you think about forgiving other people. Didn't Jesus say, if you forgive men their sins, what? He'll forgive you. But if you don't forgive, he won't forgive you. So with this cup in hand, I want you to ask God to or just tell the Lord, Lord, I forgive so-and-so. The people that have hurt me, that have lied to me, that owe me money, that won't pay me back. Those people that I want to hurt and punch. Lord, I want, I, want to, I want to forgive them because I want my heart to be clean. But here's the third thing I want you to think about when you sing. I want you to think about what you're doing with what God gave you. I want you to think about acting on what you believe. And I want you, and only you can do this, make a fresh commitment to God to do what the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about in this message. Because as I have been speaking, there's been a voice within the voice. The Holy Spirit has been speaking to you, see, about your marriage, about your home, about your ministry, about our nation, about broken walls, about something on state line, about your ministry. I want you to make a fresh commitment to God that, God, I'm going to be a doer, and I'm not going to just think about it anymore. Let's sing together. Paul the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and Jesus said, Take and eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Today, Lord, with this bread in hand, as best we know how, we remember the great suffering you endured for us so we wouldn't have to suffer. So, Lord, when we go through a little bit of hardship or difficulty, let's have a good attitude about it. Let us remember that no matter what we face, we never faced what you did. I just pray that you'd bless this bread today, that it would be life to us as we remember the life that Christ gives, the offer of eternal life. I pray, too, if there's any sick in their body today, sick in their soul, I pray that this bread would be the healing virtue of Christ. So bless this bread, I pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Let's partake of the bread. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. And Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death yeah, until he comes. See, now look, this is just a little plastic and grape juice. But somehow when I see this, I'm supposed to remember the real person, Jesus Christ. Born of a virgin with one purpose in life, and that was not just to have fun. Born with the purpose to come and be a substitute for the sins of humanity. He successfully lived a perfect life so he could give his life so I wouldn't have to give mine on Judgment Day. I remember him. I remember this cup also that is not just a sad cup, it's a happy cup. Because the third day after he was in the grave, guess what happened? I don't know what the angel had a clock or a countdown or what, but somehow that stone went flying away, come on, from that grave that had Jesus bound in. And all of a sudden, Jesus that was dead was now alive. And all the people that were discouraged and depressed were now happy again because Christ had conquered death. See, when I look at this cup, it makes me know that my Father in heaven loves me and he's got a plan for me. That no matter what I face, when I face my own death, I can have hope that I'm going to live forever. But there's something else in this cup. This cup says he's coming back again. That Jesus is not dead. Come on, he's not like the little Buddha statue. He's not words on a page. He is alive. He's at the right hand of God the Father praying for us each day. And one day the Bible says God the Father will tell Christ, go get your bride, go get the church. The Bible says there's going to be a trumpet sound the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ will rise, which means people that have been buried in cemeteries, those bodies are going to come back to life. Come on, your mom, your dad, your brother, your grandson, your, your children, they're going to come back to life again. And then the Bible says, we which are alive and remain will be caught up in the clouds to meet the, to meet the Lord in the air and we'll be forever with the Lord. Now, can I tell you, that's a good thing to say praise the Lord about today, huh? That's a good thing to be excited about because Christ is alive. Now, but before we take this cup today, I want to ask you a question. If you were to die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? See, this little cup's not going to get you to heaven. Acting on faith in Christ. Bible knowledge is not going to get you to heaven. Receiving Jesus as your Savior. See, I wonder if you're here today and say, Pastor, I want to get right with Christ. I want to put my faith in Him. I want to become a believer today. I want to turn from my sins. I want God to take over my life. Today, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want his gift of eternal life. If that's you this morning, would you just lift your hand real quickly? I want to know who you are before we receive communion. Anyone this morning? I want to get right with God today real high. I want to see your hand if you're here today. Somebody, God bless you, dear. God bless you. We can't clap, but we would. Come on, here's one. There's one. There's one. Come on, give these four people a big praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Anybody else today? I need to get right with God today. Anybody else? Yeah, praise the Lord. Well, listen, you that raised your hand, after, after we close, we're going to sing a song here. I want you to come up. Somebody's going to talk to you, tell you, you know, kind of how to live this Christian life and help get you plugged in to make a difference. Thanks, Lord, for what you've did, and thanks for what you're doing. We ask you to bless this cup now in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. We're going to sing one last chorus. You'll be free to be dismissed. We've got pastors coming to the altar right now. You that lifted your hand, come on up. Someone will pray for you. If you need special prayer, someone will pray for you too. God bless you. There is a fountain. You that lifted your hand, come on up. Let us pray for you. And it flows from Emmanuel's name. Oh, we can.
gonna sing it before we go. 